Exclusive Experience Darden Podcast. I'm your host, Brett Twitty, and you are listening to a new episode. So this episode of the podcast is yet another spotlight on our Future Year Scholars program. I'm excited to share my recent conversation with Daniela Fernandez, a student in our full-time MBA class of 2023. Daniela and I recently caught up to talk more about her MBA journey, how she got interested in the Future Year Scholars program, what led her to Darden, what she's been up to during her first year, her plans for the summer, what she's looking forward to in her second year, and so much more. I think you're really going to enjoy this conversation. So without further ado, here is my interview with Daniela Fernandez. Daniela, welcome to the podcast. Hi, Brad. Thank you so much for having me. Well, it's great to have you here. Gosh, we're recording this in late April. Your first year at the Darden School of Business is almost wrapped. Yeah, time flies. Time flies when you're having fun. (laughs) So how does it feel to be at this point in the journey? Well, I think it is. It's a nice feeling to know that we've made it to this point and that we've gone through core and through what was supposed to be like the hardest part academically and also in recruiting in my case. So I'm I'm super thrilled for this moment. Also, the fact of being able to have chosen your own classes is just amazing because I am, I mean, I enjoyed a lot the core classes, but this time I get to choose things that I think will be more helpful for me in the future or that I have like a specific interest for. So yeah, it's it's been a great quarter. I think Q3 and Q4 are definitely a lot of fun and a lot of, I'm not relaxed because we still have a bunch of, yeah, of work to do, but um, a lot of more, less stress. Let's, let's say that like that. You're right. And talking with candidates, uh, students, I should say, students here on the, on the podcast, um, one of the things I'm struck by is it really does seem to be a difference between those first two quarters in the first year and the second two quarters in the, in the first year when people kind of reflect on, you know, their, their journey, right? So quarter one and quarter two, the really the first semester, um, there's a lot of newness uh, there. And of course, you're starting to navigate the, the job search and really kind of getting into it um, as, as you move through that, through that semester. And then as you come into the, the spring, um, well, maybe you've already found your job. You're also starting to choose your classes. You've completed the core, these kinds exactly. of things. So there, there's an arc to it. But at least that's my impression from talking with students here is that there is a little bit of a different feel between the fall and the spring semester. Yeah, totally. Actually, <clears throat> it was very funny because in the talent show that we had a couple months ago, Section D made a, a musical about this exactly. So there was one person um, representing each of the three, first three quarters. And the first person had this very like vibrant personality and wanted to show off all his knowledge and wanted to go to all the parties. So there was a lot of dancing on the stage. It was amazing. Second quarter that for those recruiting consulting, it's even known as like the Black November because it's so much work. It's so much networking. It's a lot of uh, interview prep. You know, you have to prepare for your interviews that will be in January. So second quarter was this person that was struggling a little bit through life. And quarter three was this uh, like a Buddhist shaman. And he was so relaxed and he was super happy again. And, and just he learned that everything is a process, that Darden is designed for a reason in this way. 
and that everyone makes it through it. No, everyone survives. No one fails. You know, it's, it's just an emotional journey that everyone at Darden has to go through and that's it. Well, you mentioned being in electives right now. Um, any classes that you've particularly enjoyed in this quarter? Oh, yeah. Um, there's a class called Consumer Behavior that is taught by our superstars here at Darden. That is Luca Chian. He's, a, he's an Italian teacher. And he, first of all, he has an amazing personality. He's very um, over the top and he makes the class very dynamic and very fun. And also, a lot of his research is specialized in, in how consumers take decisions. So he analyzes, for example, eye movements. He analyzes preferences regarding prices. And that's a lot of what we do in the classroom. And that's a lot of what I did before coming to Darden. I, I, all my career was in marketing. So it's super fun for me. And I'm also learning a lot. So I think that's my favorite class by far. All right. Well, let's talk a little bit more about your background and what you did before coming to Darden. Tell us your story. Where are you from and, and how, did, how did you get here? Absolutely. So I am originally from Mexico. Um, I grew up in a, in a very small coffee maker town called Guatepec that is in the state of Veracruz. And it was, it was super pretty. It was a very uh, comfortable living, for calling it like that. But I wanted to get out and I wanted to do more. So I went to Mexico City to do my college. And I st stayed there for some years. Um, since my first job, I've always been in CPG marketing. My first job was in Nestle in a chocolate brand. And I fell in love with it. It was super fun for me. Then I moved to Rekit Benki, sir. And I was in Infant Formulas and I was there for three years. And my last role before Darden, I was brand manager of Barbie in Mattel for Latin America. And that, that role was amazing. It was a lot of fun. It was um, like marketing in its best expression, I would say, because um, it's not as restricted as pharma where I was before Mattel. So I got to do a lot of movies and music and commercials and packaging. It was incredible. But I started having people on, um, on my, I was their manager and I started realizing that I was missing some leadership skills. Not that I was back to them, but I wanted to be a better mentor and a better guy. And also I started realizing that my career was getting too narrowed into CPG marketing, which is very specific. And I love it. I could do it forever. But I did also want to, wanted to explore marketing from other industries. So um, I decided that it was a time for me to come to Darden. I already had the admissions because I was a future year scholar. So I had that box checked since I was back in college. Um, so I decided that it was a moment for me to take this. Also, the pandemic, I think, was a big uh, thing for my decision because I was working for home for more than a year and I wanted to see something different. And I knew that Charlottesville was being very good about the pandemic management. So I thought it was a, a, a great moment for me to come here. And to explore this marketing from different industries, I was struggling a little bit thinking of what industry would I like to explore first? Because there's so many. 
And because also at this point of our careers, if you choose an industry, it's very likely that you will start building a career path there. And I was not certain if I joined, I don't know, pharma or oil and gas or any other, I would love it. So I found out about these consulting firms, pre-MBAs programs, pre-MBA programs. And I decided to join them just to know what was consulting. I had never heard of it before. I, um, in, in the CPG world, at least in Mexico, consulting is not something that people do before. So I had no point of reference. And even MBAs are not something very common. So I, I just joined the programs to learn. And I, I found out that there, is, there was a big chance of me specifying, uh, specializing in marketing, but exploring different industries. And I realized that that's exactly what I wanted. Also, the consulting industry right now is very hot. Um, there's a lot of demand. So they, are, they want right now more people with specialized profiles. Because I, I don't know, five years ago, it was more for generalists. They still take generalists and, and most of the people go there. But also, if you wish to specialize from the beginning, you're more than welcome. So I, I thought that it was exactly the opportunity that I was looking for. I decided to start looking at that. I didn't want to do early recruiting because I was not feeling ready. And I also wanted to take advantage of the career center and other resources. Some of my friends did, uh, and it was a great experience for them, but I decided to wait. So I, I joined Darden, and during the traditional recruiting period that goes through September, October until January, um, I, I did like all the consulting recruiting, and it turned out well. I am going to visit Chicago this summer, and hopefully I'm getting a marketing project that I think it's very likely because Chicago is one of the cities with the most CPG industries. So that's what I'm doing and I can't wait. I'm really, really excited. That's uh, one month from now. Well, I want to go back in your story a little bit, uh, Daniela, sure. to you know, kind of understand a little bit more about what you love about marketing. Um, you mentioned having roles at Nestle and and tell and and really kind of connecting with this uh, with this particular kind of work and I'm curious what you enjoy about it. Okay, so that the uh, the um, reply to that goes back in my life <laughs> because since I was a very little girl, I I went to the music conservatory. So music has always been a huge part of my life. And having like this creative muscle was, is part of my identity and is something that I never wanted to quit. Actually, music was one of the main motivators that made me go from my hometown, Guatepec, to Mexico City. And it was that in my hometown, there was this jazz school. And I have never seen someone that was not Mexican before that because it's such a small town. And there in that jazz school, we started receiving musicians from very different countries and, and from all over the world. And I, I realized there was more out there, you know? So I am forever, forever grateful to music for that. And um, I've always looked in my career to have this creative element. 
alive because that's part of who I am. So I think music is all about communication, right? It, and it's communicating in different ways other than maybe written or maybe words. It's all through sounds and you can communicate with someone that you have no languages in common just through the sounds and the, the numerical part of the music. So I wanted to do something that was close to that, but I was in business school. I was in business college. So I wanted to put that together. And there was this opportunity of Nestle that it was just next to my house in Mexico City. And I didn't even know what the role was for. And I found that that it was for marketing. And my first days, we made a TV commercial for this chocolate brand where I worked. That is, it's exclusively Mexican. It's Carlos Quinto, the name of the chocolate. And I got to choose the music for the commercial. I mean, it was one of my very first tasks as a trainee. And I felt so accomplished. And I thought that maybe that was the way where I could find that convergence between art and business. And that's the way it has been. I also found out that, I mean, marketing is a lot of analysis, a lot of numbers. Every decision has to be informed, which has made me like a more rounded uh, professional. But it definitely has allowed me to be myself and to express. And more in Barbie, where I got to do so much creative work, um, I felt very free. So I guess that's what I love about marketing, because it's very free. Some people don't like it because it can be uh, kind of subjective. A lot of the decisions are taken just for by your senses and by wishing it will take it will go well, you know. And for more structure and numerical people, that is stressful. But I came from a very creative background, so I'm comfortable with that uncertainty. And I guess that's why why I love it so much. And also I found out that I was good at it, which also helps a lot. Um, and I've grown fairly quickly professionally, uh, I guess, because of that passion. Exactly. What instrument uh, do you play? Oh, so when I was in the conservatory, I played transversal flute. And then um, they wanted me to go to the professional music college. And I was like, no, like I like this, but I don't exactly want to dedicate my life to this. So they told me, okay, if you just want to keep it as a side hustle, you may want to take a look into the jazz school that is more like more relaxed, but you cannot play flute there. You will need to start singing. And I was very scared because I didn't think I could sing, but I learned to and, and singing is my favorite instrument calling it like that ever since all the time all I mean all these years since I got out of Guatepec I've been in different bands and even now in Darden that's very funny uh, I joined the faculty band with ethics professor Ed Freeman with Jacob with a lot of a lot of professors and also with a lot of second years We actually performed for the first time last weekend and it's a blues band and it's so much fun. And there I get to play the flute and sing. Um, I, before coming to Darden, I did some records. Uh, I mean, I wrote my own songs and uploaded them to Spotify, but I haven't been able to do more of that because since the pandemic. But I mean, it's just like some, it's part of who I am. I will never quit it. 
And I love that it's so portable that wherever I go, I can always bring it with me. Do you have any favorite singers? Yes. My favorite singer from old time is Ella Fitzgerald. She's a jazz singer from the 50s, I think. And current singers, I think Ariana Grande is an amazing singer. Um, she has like very good technique and all. She's a very well educated and also her music is very catchy. I like her. So they are my favorite right now. Yeah, Ariana Grande is sneaky. When you listen to her pop songs, you think, oh, she's just a pop singer. And then you see her on Jimmy Fallon. Uh, occasionally, <laughs> they'll do those kind of joke skits. And she'll sing Broadway and she'll sing jazz and all this kind of stuff. Yeah. And like, she's she's way, more, way more versatile than she might initially appear and just has this huge voice. It's just incredible. Exactly. Yeah. I, I, I love her and I love her voice. Well, what was it like to, we will get to your garden experience, I promise, but what was it like to, to work on a brand as iconic as, as Barbie? Um, is it one of those brands that has that? I, I know here from the U.S. side, um, yeah. it is one of these brands that people grow up with or aware of. It's sort of found its way into the mainstream culture. Is it the, is it the same uh, when you work and focus on, on Latin America and in and, and those countries? Yeah, totally. It's a... I mean, it's a brand that arrived to the Mexican market like five years later, five years after the launch here in the U.S. So it has been with us for generations. People love it or hate it, which is part of the interesting uh, portion of the community and the, and the communications management. And I think that the most challenging part for me to manage a brand that is so Americana because that's how Barbie is and all it's all designed for the American kids because this is obviously the biggest market is trying to adapt it to a culture where it may not resonate somehow and I am talking in every perspective for example right now Barbie is obviously very much into diversity um, and Barbie U.S. is supporting all different ethnicities and all different kinds of bodies. And I think that's amazing because it's so important that girls see all these different kinds of humans represented and that they know that if you're not absolutely skinny and blonde and tall, you're not perfect, you know? And that I love that. And we were trying to push that a lot in Latin America. But there's certain ethnicities that are not as represented there as they are here. So, for example, we had uh, we don't have a very big Asian community and we have to sell those dolls because it's part of what the brand stands for. So it was interesting uh, to explain to the moms and to the consumers why was it important for their children to see these people that they don't see normally in, in their daily lives. Also, something that was funny and challenging was that... Um, here in the United States, having a horse is super aspirational and it's a synonym of will, right? And every girl wants a horse. But in Latin America, having a horse means that you, it, it means that you live a rural life and that uh, you may not have like a lot of money because you work on the field. So we were trying to market those kinds of things in, in markets where people don't necessarily resonate with it. And the way that we did it was through content and educating where 
did this come from and why is it important for girls to see, I mean, coming back to the diversity and ethnicities part. And it's a lot, a lot of education. And uh, it was also very delicate to manage this brand because, as I said, a lot of people hate it. And Barbie, at some point in its very, very long years, I mean, around the 80s, yeah, I would say around the 80s, Barbie was a brand that was not exactly good for girls because they incentivized uh, even there's evidence that they have incentivized eating disorders or fake tanning or, you know, like uh, bleaching your hair. So a lot of people have that image of Barbie still. So it's a lot of work towards changing the, the positioning and changing how the people perceive this brand. But overall, it was a super fun experience. Overall, girls absolutely adore the brand. And you can see how they start transforming and how moms in Mexico and other Latin American markets start talking about diversity. And that's a topic that we normally don't talk about, you know? And they, they start... Uh, they start accepting and seeing the value in the in the campaigns that we do. So it was very, very fun. You're right that it is a product that engenders a lot of strong uh, emotions for people. Um, yeah. given, um, just given some of the, the baggage that comes with Barbie, you did a good job talking through some of the some of the challenges um, historically um, with the way that that uh, Barbie has been marketed and, and the lack of inclusivity uh, in the particular sort of expression of the toy. But it also mm-hmm. must be amazing to kind of think about, all right, so Mattel's obviously trying to move in a different direction with this product to tell a broader story, a, a more inclusive story. Um, exactly. And the impact that can have for young people and their families. I mean, these are these are toys designed for kids, very, very young people. That There's, exactly. a, lot of, there's a lot of good that can also be done too. Yeah, what you... What you uh, teach a kid or a girl specifically that she can be, she will believe it. And, you know, Barbie just, I'm going to tell you this quickly, but but it's fascinating. Barbie did this study about um, if girls dream, if, if girls play with specific things when they are little, how will that affect their future? So we saw that boys, this, I think this study was made uh, 10 years ago in the 2000s. We saw that boys were playing to be a doctors or were playing to be military, were playing to, were envisioning themselves in a lot of different ways. And girls were mostly playing to be moms, you know, which is not bad, but it was very limiting. So they found out that, that those play patterns were affecting their future. And they started calling these the dream gap. Because if girls didn't dream what they could be, they wouldn't become that. So that's sort of what Barbie has stand for all these years. That's why you see uh, firefighter Barbies and nurses and doctors and things that don't even exist. But we just want, well, they just want to give the girls that tool to dream and to picture themselves. And that's why the slogan even is, you can be anything. Don't limit yourself to dream what you can be. And it's very, very powerful to be in charge of taking that message to girls that probably they never imagined that they could be something different from what their moms were or what they see around them. 
Well, transitioning a little bit here to talk about your decision to apply to Darden through the Future Year Scholars Program. How did you learn about that program and how did you decide, you know what, this is the right pathway for me? Um, I was, I guess I was anxious to know what was coming next for me. Um, I always knew that I wanted to do a master's. Both my parents have master's. So that was a, I didn't even think of not doing a master. And I didn't want to do a master in something that would put me in a very specialized area where I couldn't get out, you know? So I decided that an MBA would be perfect for me. And all this was happening, all this strain of thought was happening when I was back in college. So I just started like Googling and seeing what was out there. And back then, there were only, I, I think only three MBAs that had deferral applications. I even visited some universities when I came here to the U.S., like for travel, for tourism with my family, and asked them, do you have deferral applications programs? And they all said, no, no, no. I wanted to apply to the three of them. First of all, that, that like consciousness of our situation in college was the first thing that made me like Darden for starters. So I, I applied and I got into Darden and that was an amazing surprise, but I didn't know yet exactly what was Darden, how was it like? So I said like, okay, I'm going to stick to this approval and I'm going to continue applying to other MBAs in the regular cycle when I want to join. But over those years, I started researching more about Darden. I started talking to alumni, the, the, for future year scholars team do an amazing job on keeping you informed about the Darden experience. So I absolutely fell in love with it. And I realized that this was a place for me to be. And all the people that I met, everyone was super nice. They were not as competitive as other MBA students that I had met. And that doesn't mean they were less, like they were just as really incredible professionals and super admirable careers, but they have this portion of being nice and helping your neighbor and building a community and being humble. So this is the place where I wanted to spend these two years. Also, because I knew I have never come here before, but I knew that Charlottesville was such a wonderful place. I grew up in nature. So for me, seeing all this green and hiking was important. Uh, so that's that's how I decided not to apply to any other MBA and just stick to Darden. And I don't regret that decision at all. It has been the best experience of my life. Well, we started off by talking a bit about what your first year has been like, but I want to try to go back to that first semester. You're a brand new MBA student. You're navigating a new place. You mentioned you had not been to Charlottesville before. Um, and so you are you're learning about a new community, you're getting used to business school, perhaps starting to do some recruiting activities. What was that adjustment like? Yeah, it's a lot of new things, but I feel I was so, so excited that I didn't see those changes in a negative way and it didn't make any negative impact on me. Um, also, I think we are, my generation, uh, the class of 2023, had a very special situation in which we had been in our houses for two years without meeting anyone, without seeing anyone. So we just came here and we were so 
anxious to know each other and to build new relationships and to have more friends and meet people from other places. So I was, I had a lot of energy from that and that made me uh, keep going and keep going out and meeting people and also studying a lot and reading all the cases. It was, it was a lot of new things, but I was so excited that I used that energy positively. I also think that academically, it was a, a little bit of a shock because, I mean, and I've talked to friends here and we, a lot of us have experienced this because I always was the best student, you know, in my classroom, I always was like the best, the, the, the best student and the best grades with the, all the teachers loved me and everyone was, everyone else was far behind me. And I come here and I am just one more <laughs> and I am average because everyone is incredibly smart. And even um, the grading system puts you in like the top 25, the average or the lowest 25. And that was average. And I think that was very shocking for me. But I knew why, because I knew the other people and I was and I realized that they were better in some classes than me and I was better also in some classes than them. So I think it was a very humbling experience. Um, and same, the same thing happened in my learning team where this there were especially two guys that hit, had very, very strong finance background and they made us survive four because they taught us all they, all they knew and they were super supportive in that sense. So what I mean is there's the resources for you to thrive just don't expect it to be as easy as it has been in your prior life because like the best minds of the world are here. That's a great point um, that everybody in your classroom was uh, a very smart person in their prior educational. They're still a very smart person, but you know, maybe one of the smartest, brightest students. They really were incredibly accomplished professionally. They were on very strong trajectories work-wise. And now you've all come together. It's 335 people in a full-time MBA class. And well, uh, that's a lot of talented people in one, in one place that it may be a bit yes. different um, than other experiences that people have had in terms of just the sheer concentration of bright, smart, talented, motivated people. Um, you're, that is always an adjustment. Absolutely. But it's also amazing. I, I wouldn't like to be with anyone else because the Darden people are are incredible humans. They have a very good human quality and also they're incredible professionals. So there is always stuff to learn from everyone, which is amazing. So you had this background in marketing. What was it like for you to take marketing classes? It was interesting um, because in core, the marketing class that we have in core is touches a little bit on what I used to do but doesn't go as thorough. Obviously, we cannot go like just the specialization of the specialization here in the classes. So I, I, I learned a lot because I learned how things should actually be done. Because when you are in, in the day-to-day -day work, you learn to do things the way you are taught and the way they have always been done, you know? And here is no, like the customer lifetime value is calculated with this formula. I didn't even knew that there was a formula for that because I just did it with Excel. 
So I think it made me a more refined professional. But the class that I, I think I will apply more is consumer behavior. That is my elective marketing class. So I think it's a good balance. And I guess this happened also people who were accountants. When we came to the accounting class, it was like, it was sort of similar to what I did, but I did it more thoroughly. And that makes sense. Yeah, I appreciate your, your speaking to that because, of course, no one places out of classes here in the in the core curriculum at Darden. And so the finance folks take the finance classes, the accounting uh, yeah. folks take the accounting class. You know, it's just the nature of the experience. And it's interesting to hear about your learning team with those uh, couple folks who had deeper backgrounds in finance, really helping people um, through through that curriculum. That That is the design. That is the intention. Exactly. Yeah, the learning team has ideally one person with from every background or as much diversity as you can with different international students different ethnicities and also backgrounds so the learning team is very well designed and I think it's one of the most helpful resources and tools that we have here at Darden for course specifically. Will you say a little bit more about how your team work together? I think it's always interesting to hear about that learning team dynamic. Sure. Uh, I think our learning team was the best. <laughs> we were very, we were very functional and we were very to the point. Big part of that is because three of us were recruiting consulting. No, four of us were recruiting consulting out of the six. So we had a lot of work to do and we couldn't like lose time. So we designed working schedules that were perfect for Everyone to get the cases, because I know that some learning teams, some people didn't even read the case because someone else was doing it. But in our learning team, everyone read every case, but it was only sold by two people every day. So we got to do a lot of cases, obviously, four cases a week. That is a lot. But still, we had extra time to um, to work in our recruiting stuff. And it was interesting because... In my learning team, it was one person from non-traditional background. She was uh, an art evaluator. We were two marketers, one person from the military, one from supply chain, and one from finance. So it was it was perfect because we we got to cover all the all the courses and all the classes that, that we had to do. We never had a case where we had no idea, or at least someone in the in the learning team had no idea. So we got to do it very well. And now that we are not working together anymore, we still see each other. We hang out. We have dinners. So I really think the learning team is, is crucial in the Darden experience. And it took, I mean, a lot of people don't work well with their learning teams and end up uh, changing teams. And that's also okay. I mean, you don't, you're not forced to stick to them the whole quarter. If you don't, if you're done, if you don't work well. So in our case, we were very lucky, but everyone has their own experiences for sure. So you mentioned this summer, you're going to be in Chicago working for BCG. Are you actually going to be living, living out there? I know the past couple summers, as I've talked to folks, they might've been working a bit more remotely, um, occasionally spending maybe a, a few weeks on location. Uh, what are you looking forward to this summer? Yeah, we're going to be 100% in person, which is amazing. I am very, very excited about that. And 
there's a lot to be excited about. First of all, we I went to the welcome weekend. They did a, a two-day welcome back in January that I thought that I wouldn't enjoy because it was January in Chicago, which is a lot of cold, but it was amazing. It was one of the best experiences because I got to meet all my peers that are the super smart people from all the top MBAs. So the group is great. Um, the people at BCG were very welcoming, very warm. They We went to the, you know, the best restaurants and the best clubs. So they obviously were trying to make us fall in love with BCG that, and they got me 100%. And um, now we're going to the internship where I'm starting on June. And I think that what I'm looking forward the most is all the people that I will meet because I, I am a very social person. So I'm excited about building these relationships with my peers who are incredible professionals, also with the partners and, and the employees at the CG. And the second thing that I'm very excited about is to live an actual summer in Chicago because I know it's a big music place and a big food place. And uh, I talked with an alumni uh, uh, that she lives in Chicago and she sent me all these festivals that they have in the different neighborhoods every weekend. So I think it's a lot of fun. And also there's a lot of Darden people going to, to Chicago. So we will have our family there plus all our new friends. Well, that sounds like an incredible summer and summer in Chicago is always really, really nice. And there are so many great, great things to do there. Um, it's not, not too hot. It's warm. It's easy to be outside. Um, yeah. And you've got the lake right there. So you have a lot to look forward to. Uh, oh, yeah. Danielle. Absolutely. Well, one of the storylines as students move into their second year is they start to take on more club and organizational leadership and start to get a bit more involved extracurricularly. Maybe they always were, but uh, now they start to you know, take on leadership roles in some of these organizations. Do you have any of that in, in store for you as you move into your second year? Yes. And I'm super excited too, because I will get to go back to my passion for music. So I was selected president for the Cold Cold Chorus. Sorry. And I, I am excited because I want to make it different. I'm planning to, I mean, obviously to keep the chorus, but I'm also planning to make it a band. So we get more people in, because Darling has very talented instrumentalists that are traditionally left outside of the choir. But this time I want to have the choir for Christmas, but include the band to do other performances. And also I've been talking with the leaders of the different um, affinity groups, for example, the African Society, Latin American uh, Society, and we are going to perform in their cold calls that are these events that we have all, every Thursday. Um, so we're going to, for the African cold call, we're going to perform traditional African music with all the musicians and the singers that we get. So that's the plan. I'm excited. I hope that we get to execute it correctly. Um, but I'm looking forward to it. And also because we have all these very talented musicians, professional musicians, like the, the two Skylers. We have Skylar Carr. He was a bassist in, in California. Skylar Clark Camel. He was a guitar player and a singer in Nashville. So they are 
they are key for making this happen. I'm excited. Well, that sounds great. An expansion of the Cold Call Chorus um, to include a, a band. That's, that is um, it's an innovation right there. Um, exactly. tradi- traditionally has been more of kind of like a acapella type group, um, at least right. in the performances that I've seen. So um, a band would be, would be great. Yeah, and I will also keep the acapella uh, group for other events, but I want to make it more inclusive. And apart from, from the choir, I am also VP of culture for the Latin American Student Association, LASA. So here the plan is to have more collaboration with the Hispanic American Association hand and also to make people know about the culture of Latin America. I feel that... Um, a lot of the image that people normally have about Latin America is the parties, the alcohol, the salsa, and that's it. But we have very beautiful traditions that I want the dark, to share with the Darden community and also create spaces for the Latin Americans to, to build these very close relationships with the other Darden people. That is one of the things that really impressed me when I when I came to Darden. I've been at Darden for about seven years at this point, and I just couldn't get over how many students there were from all over the world, um, yes. and so many different countries, so many different backgrounds, and just how that filters into community life and all the different celebrations and and programming and activities that take place over over the year. What an incredible opportunity to just learn. Yes, it's insane. I, I've become a fan of dancing Bollywood. Tonight, I am going to go to a Ramadan dinner uh, because today is a Ramadan celebration. So yeah, it's the, the cultural integration is something that I have also never seen before. And I'm so excited about it because everyone is so open to share and also to learn. So it's, it's, it's a lot. It's a lot to absorb, but it's a lot to learn too. Well, Daniela, any any last word of advice for our prospective student listeners out there who may be thinking about Darden and uh, pursuing their MBA? Um, I think that something that I would suggest or advise is that you should take into account that almost no one at Darden is from Charlottesville, right? We all just come here for the Darden experience. So we are all dedicated 100% to each other and to build this community and this network. And that's something that doesn't happen in other MBAs probably because they're in bigger cities or because they're more like domestic students. So we're all so committed to it. And also Charlottesville is a perfect place for that because we get to go to the vineyards and to breweries and to go hiking all the time. And that's the way you should build these very deep connections and, and deep relationships. And Darden is a perfect place for that. And if you talk to anyone at Darden, you will understand why we all, we all love it here so much because the people have a very great human quality. And feel free to reach out to me if anyone wants to talk further about transitioning from marketing to consulting or for, from being an international student, a Latina. I'm happy to share more. Well, Daniela, it's been such a treat talking with you here, hearing more about your story. 
I was at the event where the faculty band performed last last Friday. And it was oh, great. Really? I so enjoyed um, hearing the performances and seeing everybody up there. I wish that happened more often. Y'all got to get out there. Y'all got to book a tour. Yeah. <laughs> well, at least now, I mean, people liked it a lot. And thank you for telling me we are performing next week in the call call. And hopefully next quarter, we're going to get to do more stuff. Well, great. Well, good luck this summer. Enjoy your time in Chicago and at BCG. And thank you so much for coming on the podcast and sharing your story. Thank you, Brett. And that was my interview with Daniela Fernandez, a student in our full-time MBA class of 2023. As always, if you have any comments, suggestions, requests, anything you'd like for us to cover here on the podcast, we're all ears. We can be reached at Darden, that's D-A-R-D-E-N, at virginia.edu. Until next time, stay safe, be well, and thanks for listening.